be a damp and somewhat dreary night, perhaps, in a way. All of you that are visiting especially have chosen to come out. All of you have chosen to come out. But as I mentioned last night, the visitors didn't necessarily have any sense of obligation to be here tonight. And we're appreciative of all of you that have come and all of you that are members here for coming and uh, supporting your effort in this gospel meeting. I've always been warmly received here at Pippin, and it was no different last night and thus far hasn't been tonight. And I didn't see anybody bring in any rocks, so I think I'm safe for a little while anyway. But we're grateful for the warm reception, and if you're visiting here for the first time, I'm sure you'll find and have found a warm welcome. And if you've been here before, you know already of the cordial reception that you receive. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in verse 18, Peter closes that epistle with these words, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory now and forever. Amen. To grow in grace does not mean to grow in sin so that we can get more grace. That was a misconception and error that had made its way into the hearts and minds of those at Rome that Paul sought to correct in Romans 6. Remember he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Apparently there were some there who were thinking that. We love and appreciate the grace of God, apparently was their thinking. And the way to get more grace is to sin more. Paul's answer to that was, God forbid. Literally, may it never be so. For how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So growing in grace, as Peter admonishes, does not mean to grow in sin so that we can get more grace. It apparently means to grow in our faith and service to God. Paul called his work and his responsibilities of grace. He said in Ephesians 3 and about verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I've tried to keep that verse in mind, especially at times when I've been discouraged. And uh, all of us get discouraged, and preachers get discouraged sometimes. And I've tried to remember that Paul looked at the great responsibility that he had as an apostle, as a grace, an unmerited favor that God had given him by putting him in that position and giving him that responsibility. And I hope that I'll always count the responsibility that I have to preach the gospel, not as a burden or just a work, a duty, but a grace, a privilege, an unmerited favor. And so growing in grace may well mean the idea of growing in our service to God because we have been favored to be put in that position. Whatever you can do, you're favored of God to be put in the position to serve Him in that way. But what I want us to look at tonight especially is the statement and the plea of Peter when he says, and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why should we strive to grow in our knowledge? When you talk to older Christians, especially those who are elders, 
preachers, you'll find that most of them are of the opinion that we have less Bible knowledge today, generally speaking, than we did in years gone by. Now, I don't know how you measure that exactly. I'm sure they're speaking from their experience and their travels and their meetings and works that they've done. But generally speaking, the opinion is that we have less Bible knowledge today than we did in years gone by. And there's certainly not any question that there are problems that have arisen in the church in this generation and the previous generation that have arisen from the fact that people don't know their Bibles. Why are we having to fight all over again the problem of mechanical instruments of music in worship? Because people don't know their Bibles. We've drifted away from that knowledge. Well, why should we grow in our knowledge? There are a number of reasons that could be given to you out of the Bible. For example, Psalms 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so knowing the Bible will help us to be able to resist sin. We learn that in the life of Christ in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, don't we? When he was tempted in each instance, those three occasions, his response, his, his remedy was, it is written. He used, the, he used his Bible, the Old Testament. Someone has well said, and you've heard the slogan, that either sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. Psalms 119 verse 11. But another reason to study to know the Bible is so that we'll be able to teach people. Remember that Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man for the reason of the hope within you with meekness and fear. Do you know what you believe? Sure you do. You know what you believe. But do you know why you believe it? Why do you believe what you believe? Is it just because that's the way you were reared? And that's what your parents did and their parents before them? Or because you married someone and, and you didn't have a lot of convictions before, but the one you married did, and so you started going to church with her or with him, and, and so you've just become what you are because of who you married. Why do you believe what you believe? We're to be ready to give an answer. And if we know our Bibles, we can take our Bible and tell them because it is written, just like Jesus did in answering the devil. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 and verse 12 rebuked those brethren and said, When for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as are in need of milk and not of strong meat. They should have grown where they could have taught, but they were having to be taught all over again, the elementary principles of the gospel. And so I need to grow so I can teach. There are other reasons. For instance, Peter's admonition or Paul's admonition to Timothy, study, give diligence to show yourself approved unto God. I need to study the Bible so I can show myself approved unto God. But I want us tonight to think about only one of the many reasons that we might find and develop for studying our Bibles and knowing our Bibles. And then out of that one reason, I want to look at three things that that one reason will help me to do and help you to do. Ladies and gentlemen, we ought to study our Bibles because in studying our Bibles, we come to know God. We come to know God. 
Have you ever had anybody that met you? And then maybe after a little while, as they've gotten to know you, they told you. You know, I'd heard some things about you. They weren't true. Or I had this perception of you when I first met you. And now that I've gotten to know you, you weren't anything like I thought you were going to be. We had a young couple a few years ago that started coming to Rome. And actually, the husband and father was a good friend of one of our members who's now one of our elders. And he'd been trying to get this fellow and his family to come to Rome for a long time. They talked about the Bible often when they met. Finally, one Sunday morning, he showed up all by himself. The next Sunday, he and his wife, and there are three children at that time. They now have four, but that time they just had three came. And they didn't tell me this, but they later told someone out in the community there in Carthage at the bank, one of the banks. They said, we'd heard a lot of things about the Church of Christ. And they weren't true. And you know, they haven't missed a service since. It wasn't but a couple of weeks later that the husband and the wife and their oldest daughter were baptized. And since then, their youngest daughter, second child, has been baptized. They have two little boys that are not yet accountable. But they'd heard some things. And they thought they knew. How many times is that repeated about God? How many people are there today that think they know a lot about God? They don't really know God because they hadn't read the Bible. Now, I want you to follow with me and see the connection here. But in John chapter 5, Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders. And he tells them there in verses 39 and 40, search the scriptures. He's talking to the so-called scholars of his day in the Jewish law. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And then he said in verse 40, and you will not come unto me that you might have life. Here were men who had been trained in the law of Moses, who knew it, frontwards and backwards, top side, bottom side, inside out. They knew the law of Moses. They corrupted it by adding to, to it or, or putting alongside of it their oral traditions that had been handed down, but they knew the law of Moses. And Jesus said to them, that law that you know in which you are trusting in and of itself to get you to heaven talks about me. And they couldn't even see it. Well, why is that important? Because in John 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip said to, to Jesus, Lord, Show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. And Jesus' response to him was, Have I been so long time with you? And yet have you not known, Philip, that he that hath seen me hath seen the Father? When we see Jesus, when we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, we're going to know God. When we study our New Testament, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel that He gave through the Holy Spirit to those inspired men, but the gospel that is about Him as well. Both from Him and about Him. And including all that He requires of us. When we study that, we're going to know Christ. But when I get to know Jesus, I'm getting to know the Father. Because He shows us the Father. John 1.14, John says... The Word was made flesh. 
Now back in verse 1, he tells us who the Word is or was. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now that Word that was with God and was God there before time began, that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And John says, we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And then in verse 18 of John 1, he says, No man hath seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, he hath declared him. So when I read my Bible, when I read the gospel, I'm going to learn about Christ. But when I learn more about Jesus, I'm learning more about God. Romans 10, beginning in verse 13, Paul would say that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? I'm learning about Christ. Now, in the gospel, Romans 10, 17, then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But it's also in the Old Testament because remember in John 5, Jesus said, search the scriptures. Now, at the time, at the moment that he said that, the scriptures were what we now have as the 39 books of the Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. And he said, they are they which testify of me. So from Genesis to Revelation, when I read my Bible, when I study my Bible, I can grow in my knowledge of Jesus. But when I grow in my knowledge of Jesus, I'm growing in my knowledge of God. Let me just ask you tonight, how well do you know God? Without being critical of anybody, you and I will only know God to the extent that we know His Word. And if we don't know the Bible, there are no telling how many misconceptions we will have about God. There's so many people in this world that think that God, they know God is love. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But they know God is love. But they don't know anything about the justice of God and the wrath of God. And so their concept is that on the day of judgment, God is going to be so full of love for all of his creation that there is no way that he could allow any of them to go into hell. And if somehow he does, it won't be eternal because he loves Ladies and gentlemen, they don't know God. And it wouldn't take them long in reading the Bible to find out that God will, even though he loves, punish. Actually, did you know that hell is God accepting our choice? Hell is a place where God is not going to be present. And if we have chosen to live our life without God in it, God will accept that and the inevitable conclusion of it, and let us live eternally without him, in a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25 tells us. I need to study my Bible then so I know God. But now, let's think about what knowing God will help us to do. When we study our Bible and we come to know God, that will help us to love him. It's hard to love day in and day out and manifest and demonstrate love day in and day out for somebody that you don't know. Now I know and you know that the Greek 
noun agape and the verb agapao carries the idea of a general desire and disposition of goodwill toward another without consideration of the cost to oneself. That's what God did for the world. He loved, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Without consideration of the cost to himself, he sent his son to die for us because it was for our goodwill, our benefit. Christ loved us, and so he died without consideration of the cost to himself because it was for our benefit. And that's why he told Peter, when Peter had drawn the sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, he said, do you not know that I could presently pray to my father and he'd send me twelve legions of angels? But how shall the scriptures be for And so he went to die. Not for his sins, but for ours. And I know that the Bible teaches that we're to love our enemies, Matthew 5, 43 to 48. And we don't have to know them to love them. But to live with somebody and to live for somebody day in and day out, regularly, continually, constantly, we need to know them, to love them like that. When we know them, then we can love God better. Matthew 22, there was a certain lawyer that came to Jesus, verse 37, to tempt him and said, what's the first and great commandment? And Jesus' answer was that the first commandment is that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Do you love God that way? Do you ever struggle with that? If you and I will spend some time in this book, we can love God like that with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. In 1 John chapter 4, John said in verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Now the context of that is loving one another. Verse 7, love one another. But later on in John 4, near the end of that chapter, he will say, He that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how shall he love God whom he hath not seen? So let's put those two thoughts and ideas together here. If I can't love my brother who I have seen, what does that mean? It means I don't know God. Because God is love. But if I can't love my brother whom I have seen, because, and that's evidence that I don't know God, how can I love God who I have, whom I haven't seen? And the answer is, I can't. I won't. Knowing God then helps me to love. To love God first and foremost, and then to love all of my brethren. And to love my enemies. Well, now let's bring that down practically and look at something here. In Luke 14, passage that most of you have read and heard before, Jesus set before us and all others the high standard and demand of discipleship. When he said in verse 26, If any man come unto me and hate not. Now you've heard and rightfully so that that phrase, hate not, literally carries the idea of loving less. If any man come unto me and hate not his father and his mother. Wait a minute. How can I love God more than I love my mama and my dad? How can I do that? How can I love God more than I love the woman who went down into the valley of the shadow of death and labored there at death's door to bring me into this world and nurtured and cared for me 
disciplined me until I got too big to whip. And then she'd pass me off to my daddy. And I never got too big for him to whip. And I'm still not, by the way. How can I love God more than I love her? And that daddy that worked and provided for my welfare and well-being, protected, taught me and disciplined. How can I love God more than I love my mama and my daddy? I'll get into this book and read about God and all that He has done for me and how that what mother and daddy have done to me have certain limitations that are restricted to this world and time. But what God has done for me extends into eternity. That will help me to elevate my love and still love my mama and daddy as I'm supposed to, but love God more than mama and daddy. And so that if there ever is a conflict between what God wants me to do and what my mom and daddy want me to do or my memories of them, I'll always choose God because I love Him more. But there are people tonight that can't do that. You know why? They don't really know God. They know their mom and their daddy. And oh, they cherish their memory and their relationship with them. And anything that threatens that to them is inconceivable that they could choose that over them. And that's why sometimes when people are having Bible studies, they say, that's not what my mom and my daddy did. What about that? Get them in this book. Help them to see God in Christ. But now, notice, he said, He that cometh unto me and hate not, his father and his mother, his wife and his children. His wife and his children. How in this world can I love God more than my wife and my children? How can I love God more than those two boys that I held in my arms, played ball with them, sometimes not as long as they would have liked, played with them, tried to teach them life's lessons. How can I love God more than I love my boys? How can I love God more than I love my girl? Who'd crawl up in my lap, kiss me on the cheek, put her arms around me and say, I love you, Daddy. I love you best of all. When she'd say, I'll always love you best of all. And she got a little older and I'd say, no, that's not true. It is now, maybe. But there's a boy out there somewhere. Maybe you've already met him, maybe you hadn't. One of these days, he'll take my place in your heart. And he has. And then, Lord willing, two weeks from this coming Saturday, they'll be married. But when I think about that, how can I love God more than I love my boys and my girls? I get in this book and read about how God gave His Son to die for me. And then I think about how much I love my boys and my girl. That'll help me when there's a conflict between what God wants me to do and what my children want to do. 
big God. To love Him supremely. And a wife to whom next month I will have been married for 31 years. How can I love God more than her? The one to whom and with whom I am one. I'm back in this book. You see, the more I know God, the easier and the better I can love Him and love Him supremely. I can do what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. I can sanctify the Lord God in my heart. Just like 31 years ago, come next month, I sanctified a woman in my heart. And there's a place in my heart that no other woman, including my mother and my daughter, approaches. We're one. But even apart from and above that, I'm to have sanctified God so that nobody, mother, father, wife, children, brothers, sisters, not even my love of my own life challenges my love for God. But how can I ever reach that place? Study this book. Read about God. And if you're in a routine and schedule of, and habit of reading your Bible, I challenge you to think about, as you read through it, God that is being revealed to us on the pages of His book. And the beauty of His personality. I can see His power in the world around me. But I learn about the beauty of His character and His personality in this book. Now, secondly, and I'm trying to hurry. When I study the Bible and I come to know God, more about God, that will help me to trust Him. Not only does it help me to love Him, it helps me to trust Him. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says that without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing unto God, unto Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. There are two elements to faith. Without faith it's impossible to please God. There are two elements to that faith. Trust and the demonstration of that trust. Trust. How can I trust God? I read this book and I learn more about him and I find that he is reliable, trustworthy, and faithful. When I read a passage like 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that says, There is no temptation that hath taken you but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. How do I know that? Because I can start back in Genesis and I can come all the way through to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. And all of those passages that come before verse 13 there, you see. And I can read and I can find that in every instance, every time God made an unconditional promise, He kept it without fail. And every time God made a promise that had conditions attached to it, when those conditions were met, He kept it without fail. And when they were not kept, He didn't go on and keep it anyway and say, you did the best you could. I'll just go ahead and let you slide. No, he's faithful. When it was unconditional, he kept his promise. When it was conditional and the conditions were met, he kept his promise. But when the conditions weren't met, he didn't, he didn't fulfill his promise because his promise had those conditions attached. Now, when I get into temptations and trials, I know that they are such as are common to man. 
And God is faithful and will not suffer me to be tempted above that which I am able, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape. I know there then there is a way for me to endure and come through that trial, that temptation. God is faithful. When I was a boy, my brother's a year and a day younger than me, a sister ten years, but this would have been before my sister was even thought of. We lived in Huntsville, where I grew up, and when we would go uptown near the square where there were the courthouse and businesses and post office and things with my dad for business that he was carrying on or whatever might be done, he'd take the two index fingers on each hand and he'd hold them down. And those two little boys, me and my brother, we'd reach up and grab a finger. We'd hold that finger. Now, grabbing that finger was a demonstration of our trust. And though he would teach me later on when I was out to look both ways before crossing the street, when I had to hold that finger, I didn't look. He's taking care of that. I didn't look to see where we parked in the parking lot. I knew he'd get us back to his car. I didn't look to see what aisle we were in in the market because it didn't matter where we were at. I was with him and I was holding that finger and it didn't matter. He's taking care of all of that. You see, the more I know about God as I read and study His Word, the easier it is for me to reach up and grab, as it were, that finger and hold on and trust Him because He's faithful. And so when I read Hebrews 6, beginning in about verse 17, wherein God, willing to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it with an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Ah, I know he won't lie. Why? Because the history of all of God's dealings with man reveals he has never done so. And the devil has tried to get us to believe that he... Remember Eve? Why? God said you can eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat thereof. For in the day you eat, you will surely die. What did the devil say? You shall not surely die. Which one lied? Well, we all know, don't we? Because Genesis 5, eight times it says, and he died. Even though all but two of those patriarchs mentioned there in Genesis 5 lived to be over 900 years old, it says of every one of them, and he died. And he died. And he died. God doesn't lie. The more I know about God, the better I can trust Him. And so when I read Hebrews 6 and verse 10, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you do show toward His name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. I know He won't forget anything that His people have done in their service to Him when we meet Him on the day of judgment. I forget sometimes to tell people I appreciate what they've done. I take my wife for granted sometimes and I forget to tell her I appreciate what she's done and is doing. God won't forget anybody. That's why Jesus could say, whoever gives a cup of cold water in my name would in no wise lose his reward. A cup of cold water. God notices all of that. It'll help me to trust him. Now quickly, the last point. As I study my Bible and I come to know God, it'll help me to worship Him. 
John 4 and 19, that Samaritan woman with whom Jesus was talking, she said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers say that in this mountain is where we ought to worship, and you say that in Jerusalem is where we ought to worship. An ongoing controversy between the Samaritans and the Jews about the place of worship. And Jesus said, The hour is, now, is coming, and now is, when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship God. And then he said in verse 22, you worship, you know not what. I wonder how many times that same mistake and shortcoming is repeated in the world today. Do we know who we're worshiping tonight? We haven't come here tonight to be entertained. We haven't come here tonight to play with babies. We haven't come here tonight to catch up on the ladies' gossip and see how everybody's doing, what's going on, how we've changed since the last time we saw each other. We've come here tonight to honor God and honor Him with our worship. Do we know who it is we're trying to honor tonight? Saturday morning I watched my daughter, and some of you I believe here had a, had a daughter or, or son graduate from college maybe and one or two, I think, at Cumberland. I watched, you know, they, they called out the names of a fellow, one name of a fellow that graduated, I believe, in 1950. I didn't know who he was. But when he stood up, I, I politely applauded. They called the names and gave an award to one of the professors and one, of the, and one or two of the students, and I didn't know them. I didn't know why they were being honored, didn't know that much about them, but I, I politely applauded because they were being honored. I wonder how many people politely and respectfully go through a worship service, but they don't have a clue who it is they're there to honor. How about you? How about me tonight? You see, as I read my Bible and come to know God, it'll help me to worship Him because I know who it is I'm here to honor tonight. I'm here to honor God. And so when I read Hebrews 10, 21 and 22 where the writer says having an high priest over the house of God let us draw near we're drawing near to God tonight in our assembly and yes we're, we're all glad to see everybody else that has come but would there be any difference in our seeing everybody that's here tonight than if we were up at the high school gym watching a basketball game and seeing everybody and throwing up our hand and shaking it. There's a difference tonight, isn't there? Because we've come here to honor God together. We're drawing near unto Him with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. So when we read Hebrews 4.15, we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. And that's where we are tonight. Before the throne of grace. Yes, we're in the church building of the Pippin congregation, but it is here in this building where by faith we're going into the throne room of God to honor Him. But I don't know how to do that unless I know Him. 
And that's part of the problem in our world today. There will be men and women that will assemble tomorrow night in respective places and certainly on Sunday morning and they'll do all kinds of things that the Bible doesn't say anything about. And they believe with all of their heart that they are honoring God. And God looks upon that as an abomination. Why? Because it's not what He's asked them to do. And they don't know Him. They don't know that Jesus said that God is seeking for true worshipers. But when I know God, I want to be a true worshiper. It helps me then to worship God. Because I'll only want to do in worship what He has asked me to do. And thereby honor Him. And when I study the Bible, not only does it help me to, uh, to know Him and then to worship Him, but to love Him and to trust Him. Now, what's the outgrowth of that? Obedience. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And by the way, this idea of knowing God, in 1 John 2 and verse 3, John said, Hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. You see how this thing just keeps working itself out until it comes right down to where we live and what we do in worship and out in the world, how we live every day and everywhere we go. How do I do that? By taking this book and learning about Jesus. Taking the Old Testament, learning about Jesus, and in that learning about God. And knowing God then, I want to love. Have you met people that it's hard to love? Sometimes I'm hard to love. And if my wife were here, she would be nodding. She might even holler amen. Sometimes I'm hard. I know my children would say that. There is nothing about God that's hard to love. The more I know about Him, the more I see Him revealed to me in this book, oh, I want to love Him. I want to trust Him because He's trustworthy. And I want to honor Him with my praise and my worship. But I respect Him that I want to do what He has asked me to do. So I'm going to love Him by keeping His commandments. I'm going to demonstrate that trust by doing what He tells me to do, even though I may not see the reason for it. And I'm going to honor Him in my worship by giving Him what He's asked for because I know Him. And I respect Him too much not to. How well do you know God? Is He real to you tonight? Is God as real to you as all these people you see sitting around you in this room? Great statement made about Moses in Hebrews 11, verse 27, when it says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he saw him who is invisible. One of the many sad statements you'll find in your Bible made by God about His people Israel in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3 He says, The ox knoweth his crib, and the ass his master's stall. But my people doth not know. Israel doth not consider. What about us today? Do you know God? How real is it? Jesus said in John 17 3, This is eternal life. To know thee, the only true and living God, and Jesus, his Son, whom thou hast sent. That's how important it is. How can I do that? 
by reading and studying my Bible. I'll grow in my knowledge of the Lord. I'll grow in my knowledge of God. And that'll help me to love Him and trust Him. And that'll be demonstrated in my obedience to His will. And it'll help me to worship If you're in this audience tonight and you've never put on Christ in baptism and you say, preacher, I can't see what baptism has to do with my being saved. We're back here to trusting Him now. Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Do you trust Him? Trust Him. He's not lying to us. Do what He said do. Believe in Christ, John 8, 24. Repent, Acts 17, 30. Confess your faith, Romans 10, 9 and 10, and be baptized in order to be saved, receiving the remission of your sins, Acts 2, 38. And you and I may never see from a human standpoint and human wisdom why God said do that. But trust Him and do it. Because He said to. And for the reasons that He said. And if you're a child of God, do we walk by faith or do we walk by sight? Do you trust Him? Are you demonstrating that by living for Him every day? Even though sometimes human wisdom says, don't tell the truth. Lie. Cheat. So we talked a little bit about last night. Trust Him. And let that be seen in the way you live. And all of us, let's study our Bibles and that will help us to know Him. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, you need to ask for the prayers of your brethren or be baptized into Christ. Won't you do it while we stand together?